pray together. God, thank you for your presence here today. I pray that you would help the message to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, for each of us to be good listeners today. Help me to be your vessel, Lord, to speak your word truthfully, clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. The message had been preached, it was bold, and it was clear, and I am sure that there were no doubts in the minds of the hearers of what Peter was trying to say. Verse 36 is really the point in the sermon at which he delivers that truth to them that would go right into the very depths of their heart. He said, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And those words were like a sword going, I mean, to the very depth of their being. I I remember A number of years ago, my brother-in-law, Dave Bycroft, saying to me, when you present the truth to someone, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to accept it and submit to it, or they're going to rebel against it. And I'm sure everyone in this crowd was having one of those two responses. There really was no opportunity given for anyone that day to ride the fence. They were either hearing what Peter had to say and being convicted by it, or they were closing their ears like this and they were rejecting it. Verse 37 focuses on the group that was hearing what he had to say. I'd like to read it to you. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in chapter 2 of Acts today. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? That that phrase, pierced to the heart, if you're reading from the New International Version, it says it this way, they were cut to the heart. What does that really mean? In the original language, it means to be sorely pricked. I have a footnote in my Bible that says they were wounded in their conscience. Now, surely you have felt that at some time before. Maybe as you were reading the Word yourself, or or maybe as you were listening to the sermon being preached, you felt like the message was directed right to you. The Word touched you. The Word convicted you. That's what the people here on the day of Pentecost were feeling, and rightfully so. Peter said, you killed the Son of God. Verse 23, he said, you nailed Him to a cross. Indeed, their conscience was sorely pricked. Can you put yourself in their shoes for just a moment? I mean, all of the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. They longed for Him to come. They had hopes that He would free them 
from Rome's rule. That's what they thought the Messiah was going to do for them. They had been taught that since their early childhood. The Messiah was going to come. He was going to be an earthly ruler. And He would deliver them from the evil empire of Rome. And somehow they had missed what the prophets had said what they had written about the Messiah being a suffering servant. His kingdom was not to be of this world, they said. Rather, His kingdom was to be a spiritual one. He was to rule in their hearts. But the Jewish people had missed that. And so when the long-awaited Messiah did finally come... They didn't recognize Him. Worse yet, they killed Him because He didn't fit into the mold that they had for Him. And now Peter is preaching to them on this day of Pentecost. And he is pointing out to them this very truth and he is using Old Testament Scriptures to show them that the one whom they had killed 50 days earlier was really the Son of God. And indeed, His message was like a sword going into their inner being. They were pierced to the heart. It was like, oh my goodness, what did we do? We killed the Son of God. We crucified the one whom we were waiting for. Indeed, they were wounded in their conscience and they said, what shall we do? Now, before I get to Peter's answer and before we come down too hard on these Jewish sinners, could I remind you that all of us here are sinners in the same way and we too are in need of a Savior. Obviously, we weren't there that day to help hammer the nails into Jesus' hands and feet, but He died to pay the price for all of our sins. Your sins. My sin helped put Him there on that cross. We are just as guilty as the ones who hammered the nails that day. And so the question, what shall we do, is an appropriate question for all of us to answer. Could I first point out to you that Peter did not reprimand them for their question, what shall we do? Do That indicates to me that there is something that we need to do. Now, not in the sense that we can earn our salvation. No, not at all. We can never do enough to earn our salvation. This topic came up just recently in our small group. And Lance Dirks is in our small group on Sunday night. Some of you may know Lance Dirks. If you do know him, you know his story that he and his family came from a church that is very legalistic. In fact, they put a lot of emphasis on the doing side of things. And so as we were discussing this topic of grace versus works... Lance just all of a sudden burst into a song. 
<laughs> I've never had that happen before in a small group where someone just all of a sudden started singing. And I, I mean, he was really bellowing it out. He was letting it go. And we were all just kind of sitting there like, what in the world? But you should have heard the song. You should have heard the words to the song. It was a song he later explained to us that his people, that the people of that church used to sing, that they still sing at when one of their brethren dies and the funeral is happening. This is one of their funeral songs. I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. I'd never, I'd never heard the song before, but I want to show you the words to the song on the screen. The, the, the name of the song is, Will It Do? And it goes like this, Will my two weary feet and my work-hardened hands be enough when I pass in review? If I work, if I pray till the end of the way, will it do, precious Lord? Will it do? And here's the, here's the chorus. Will it do when I come to the end of the way? My trophies are few, but Lord, I can say that I tried to be honest, I tried to be true. Will it do, precious Lord? Will it do? And as he finished singing that song and told us the story behind it, that it's a song that is sung at one of their brethren's funeral, I said, you've got to be kidding me. What's the answer? Will it do? <laughs> no, it won't do. I mean, that's the story of Scripture. I don't care how much we, we try, how much effort we put in, if it's all from within uh, our own effort, if it's our own goodness. Have we prayed enough? Have we been honest enough? Have we worked hard enough? If that's what we're, we're trying to get to heaven on, we're not going to get there. It's not going to do. It's not what we do, it's what He's already done for us on the cross. But still the question that the Jewish people ask on Pentecost, it is a valid question, what must I do? It's a, it's a very similar question that the Philippian jailer asked in chapter 16 of Acts. Of Acts, he said, What must I do to be saved? There is something that we must do, and it is simply this we must accept Jesus as Savior. We must say yes to Jesus. Another way to put it is this we must receive Him into our life. If I'm going to offer to you a gift, you have to reach out to receive the gift. So too, God is offering to us a free gift of salvation and we have to reach out to receive the gift. Let me try to answer this, this very important question. What shall we do? First of all, 
we must believe in Jesus. And, and I've been praying all week long because I know when I preach a sermon like this, most of the folks in the congregation are ones who have already said yes to Jesus. They are ones who have already given their lives over to Jesus. And so I have been praying all week long that God would send people here on Sunday morning that need to hear this message. And would you be praying that during this message as well? That if those people are here, that their ears would be open, that their hearts would be open, we first must believe in Jesus. Interestingly, the word believe does not even appear in this text until verse 44. Where it says, all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. But don't you think the fact that these people have asked Peter this question, that that is good indication that they indeed believed what he had said to this point, and the fact that they were cut to the heart? They did believe at this point. And throughout Scripture, the point is very clear that we must believe in Jesus. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Acts 4.4 says, But many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of men came to be about five thousand acts 10:43 says of him speaking of Jesus of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins John 5:24 Jesus is speaking he says truly truly i say to you he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. John 6, 40, Jesus is talking again. He says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. John 6:47 Truly truly I say to you he who believes has eternal life. I mean these are just a sampling of the verses that emphasize the importance of belief in Jesus. This is where it starts. This is the foundation that must be laid in Acts 2 though. Peter builds on that foundation. And he says this, that we must repent of our sins. Now, what exactly does that mean? Again, going back to the original language, to repent means to change one's mind. It means to feel sorry for your sins. It means to reverse the direction of one's life. So if you're living your life in sin for yourself, to repent means to turn around and go the other direction. You start living for Him. And of course, as you decide that you want to do that, He's going he's to be there to help you. 
and we need His help. To repent is to pray and call upon the Lord. Acts 2.21 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hear me say this, brothers and sisters. If you want to go to heaven, repentance is absolutely essential. We are praying to God, asking Him to forgive us. We are confessing our sins to Him. All of this is involved in repentance. It starts here in the head. I understand what Jesus has done for me. I believe in Him. I believe that He is the only way that I can be saved. I understand what He has done for me. And when that belief then is transferred from here to here, that's repentance. I am moved by what He has done for me on the cross, and I am moved over what I have done to Him. I have sinned against Him. My pride is against Him. My selfishness is against Him. My impatience, my lust, my gossip, my critical spirit, all of that is against Him. And I must do something about my sin or I will go to hell. And so I repent. I confess my sins to Him. I ask Him to forgive me knowing that I need to change my life. Listen to the testimony of Scripture concerning repentance. Luke 13.3, Jesus is speaking. He says, unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Acts 3.19 says, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I wonder, is there anyone here that needs refreshing? Anyone here that needs your spirit to be lifted up? You know, sin has a way of just burdening us. It's a heavy burden that rests upon every person's shoulders. And the world just weighs us down. And so for one to repent means that we are going to turn away from the world and we're going to turn to Jesus. And, and, And Peter says when you do that, when you give your sins to Him, He can renew your spirit. He can refresh your spirit. He can lift you up. He can take away the burden of sin. And we all need that. Acts 17.30 says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all men everywhere should repent. It's amazing to me that as you look at this book, you look through the whole book, you take a look at the whole big picture, you see that the message is very consistent. One must believe in Jesus as the Son of God. One must repent of their sins, giving their heart and their sins to Jesus. And then 
The Scripture says, Peter continues on there in verse 38. He says, we must be baptized. Would you look at your Bibles, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and see exactly what it says? It says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now let me stop right there for just a moment. Notice, this is in the form of of a command. It's not just a suggestion to us. It is a command that we must be baptized, each one of you, he said. And that that is so clear. I, I I don't know how it can be misinterpreted, but it is. For some reason, there there are folks who think you don't need to be baptized. The Scripture says, each of you. Repent and be baptized, each of you. Remember the word baptize means to immerse, to dip, to plunge, to overwhelm. That's the original language. Just you take time. Uh, If you have any qualms about that any doubts about that take time to look that word up in a greek dictionary you can get online and see it it'll give you the definition in the greek language of what this means remember baptism in the first century was by immersion only sprinkling was a form of baptism that wasn't even started until more than 200 years after jesus was gone So I simply say here at this church, we don't want to change the Word of God. We want to submit to the Word of God. And that is why we continue to teach immersion as the only form of baptism. If it was good for Jesus, if it was good for the people in the early church under the apostles' teaching, then it is good for us here today. Now that is not to stand in judgment of anyone else. It's simply saying that we here at Community Christian Church want to do things the Bible way. Interesting, too, in the first century, the secular use of the word baptize gives support to this. If a ship was lost at sea and sunk, it was said to be baptized. If you have a garment that you wanted to change the color of that garment, you would baptize it in the the colored water. If you have a dish that you want to wash, it was said that you would baptize the dish. That's the use of the word baptize in the first century. It clearly meant to overwhelm, to dip, to plunge, to immerse. Note 2 from Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's straight from Scripture. We are not baptized into community Christian church to become a member of the church. We are baptized into Jesus because He's the one who died for us. 
Could I read to you some supporting scriptures about this subject of baptism? Maybe you want to follow along with me or certainly note these in your Bible. And, and for all of us, those of us who have already made this kind of a decision for Jesus, we need to be armed with scripture so that we can share the good news with others. Matthew 28:19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We call that scripture the great commission. It's Jesus's marching orders to the church and and it includes that we should be baptizing those who are disciples of Jesus. Let me read to you Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38. This is the story of Philip. As he's preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, he says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this Scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Pretty clear. That that Philip's message, Philip's teaching to this Ethiopian person, it involved baptism. And remember, this, this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, Saul was baptized. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his household were baptized. Acts chapter 16, Lydia and her household were baptized. Let me read to you chapter 16 of Acts, verses 30 through 33. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas, they have been in prison. They've been singing songs, giving praise to God, and the Philippian jailer has been hearing them. And then there's an earthquake. Paul and Silas's chains are they fallen off of their hands and their feet. They had the opportunity to escape. They refused to do that. And the Philippian jailer, upon realizing that they were still there, he ran to them and he said, What must I do to be saved? Well, I, I think that's, that's a question we need to give heed to the answer. Let me read it to you. Verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Pretty clear. And I want you too to notice the sense of urgency. There was no waiting until spring. It was important enough to do it immediately. Have you noticed the scripture that's, that's on the wall there by our bapt, 
baptistry, Acts chapter 22, verse 16. It says, now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Those are Ananias' words to Saul. You remember Saul had had the, the convert, the, the, the Damascus Road experience. A bright light from heaven had blinded him. Jesus told him, go into the city and wait there until you're told what to do. Three days later, Ananias comes to him and this is what Ananias says to Saul. What are you waiting for, Saul? Get up. Be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Can I impress upon you that baptism is not simply the doctrinal teaching of Community Christian Church, but more importantly, it is the doctrinal teaching and command of Scripture. For a moment, let's go back to Acts 2.38. And see what the ending of that verse looks like. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's from the New International Version. Now that's, that's pretty good reasoning for being baptized, isn't it? It says you will be forgiven of all of your sins and you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're one who has not been baptized, you should do that. There, there is only one that I know of who doesn't want you to do that. And that is the devil. That is the father of lies and the deceiver. And he's liable to be whispering in your ears saying to you, don't, you don't need to get all worked up over this. You, you don't need to do this. You're okay. Your, your good works will do. You've, you've got all the time in the world to do this. But don't listen to him. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. And the truth is that we need to give our life to Jesus Christ. And if you read on there in Acts chapter 2, it says that 3,000 people were baptized that day. Thus, we have the beginning of the New Testament church. Now, as I've said already, most of us here today, I understand, have already said yes to Jesus. We have repented and we have been baptized. And so my question to you is simply this. Will you continue to live out that commitment to Jesus? I mean, this isn't about just getting in the water and getting dunked. This is a commitment to Jesus Christ. It's it's as though you are marrying Him. You are vowing yourself to Him for better or for worse. I mean, for the rest of your life, you are going to live a committed life to Jesus. Will you do that? 
And for those who have not yet made this decision to follow Jesus, I want to ask you, will you decide to repent and be baptized? Will you make arrangements to talk with someone? Will you decide to follow Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, you know who's here today. May your spirit be moving in people's hearts. I can't help but think that there are some people here today who who have been brought here by the Holy Spirit to hear this message, to be challenged from the Word of God. So Lord, may there be action, may there be a willingness to surrender all. Help us, every one of us, to live that committed life, Lord. When we stepped into the waters of baptism, maybe it was a long time ago, maybe it was just in the last year or two, but whenever it was that we stepped into the waters of baptism, that we were saying, Lord Jesus, I'm going to live for you with my whole life. Help us to live according to that commitment, Lord. To live in your grace and your power. We pray this in Jesus' name.